The thought process is that they can only sell grooming products to black men for $10 or less. We were able to do that at a $30 plus uh, margin uh, price point. And so they had never figured that out. And so we knew that if we could build a consumer base of black men who we proved could spend money and invest in their grooming and personal care, it'd be very attractive to a traditional retailer. Welcome back to another episode of the Traffic Sales and Profits Show. I'm your host, Lamar Tyler, and today we're talking e-com. E-commerce is exactly what we're going to drill into, we're going to dive into. I got the perfect person for it today, Gamal Codner, CEO of Codner Co., Man, welcome to the show. What's up, brother? I know I've been trying to get you here for, for a little. We're trying, to, we're trying to arrange the calendars and schedules. I know. Glad to finally be here. I'm, I'm glad that you're here, too, because um, in Traffic Sales and Profits, just overall community, it's a lot of e-commerce businesses or new people coming into e-commerce. So I wanted to have you here to talk about what it's like, not just to start, but to scale a brand, and then even more importantly, to exit, right? Because I feel like uh, specifically too many times in our communities, the thought is, I'm gonna build it. And not even, maybe the thought ain't even what's gonna happen after I build it. We're just thinking about building it, and then maybe we're surprised by success or money of it. Um, too many times we're thinking about, okay, I'm gonna have 30, 40, 50 years and pass it down. Maybe like, you know, we think in generations before did, but things move a lot faster now than generations did before. So this industry may not even be around. Like AI or something may come and just disrupt whatever you do or sell. Um, but it's so many different things that may happen. So so it's so many lines and ways I want to, you know, uh, take this conversation with. But first, I want to start with just your backstory. Um, you grew an amazing brand yourself, uh, Fresh Heritage. Let's talk about that. Like, what got you into e-commerce? Was it something before that? Um, and then, you know, like, like, how did you kind of grow and scale that? Uh, before you even got to the exit, just how did you go about building that that original brand? For sure, um, you, you're right. There's so many benefits for exiting that, especially in e-com, it, it's weird, but I almost feel like e-commerce is a Ponzi scheme in a way. And we <laughs> we can get into why it's because it has a negative cash flow cycle, and so the minute you stop producing revenue the problems compound. And so mm -hmm. the the only outcome, the only desirable outcome should be to exit because if not, you're going to be in a much undesirable place. And so um, we started with the end in mind. So our one page business plan was to exit. And that was because of my prior experience. I spent years in M&A, mergers, acquisitions, raising money. Mm -hmm. I personally raised nearly $15 million for transactions either to raised for my own businesses or to help my mentor invest in others. My mentor is a guy, Jamaican as well. Um, he's been involved with like four to five billion dollars of transactions. And I met him randomly and he introduced me to the world of private equity. And I spent years kind of cutting checks or assisting in cutting checks to founders. And I told myself I wanted to be on the other side of it. Hmm. So we kind of reverse engineered our way to an exit. And so our plan was to exit in three to five years and we did it in four. Awesome, awesome. Now, um, what was the, people may know, what was the, the brand about? Like, what did you sell, that type of thing? Yep, and so um, now, so when you sell, you're under a non-compete. And so some of the things I'm now able to share for the first time publicly is because my contract's up. And so for the outside looking in, um, people would say that we sold grooming products to black men. Internally, what we always knew we were building is a, a community of high-performance black men 
And we just monetize that relationship through grooming products. Mm. Subtle difference, but a huge difference. And so our primary focus was just building affluent, um, high-performance black men. That's it. Mm. So it's more so um, a ways to a means, right? Using that product as a way to attract the real avatar of what you wanted. Correct. Um, now, was it always knowing that, hey, this avatar is what people will be interested in actually purchasing or, get, or buying access to? Correct. Okay. So um, one of the big one of the big opportunities in creating something that's sellable is creating what I call strategic value. So this is like outside of what your finances say your business is worth. This is something that you can uniquely do, something that you uniquely have that in the hands of someone bigger is even more valuable. Yeah. For example, I like telling stories to to make like these obscure things make sense. So Procter and Gamble may spend ten million dollars on a Super Bowl commercial, right? and a 30 second commercial, they may not acquire 10,000, 20,000 customers from that. Or they could spend $10,000 on a $5 million company and acquire 100,000 customers who already have you know, made dozens of transactions. And so if we knew uh, that we could fill a gap in the market where the traditional like large um, consumer brand companies, the thought process is that they can only sell grooming products to black men for $10 or less, we were able to do that at a $30 plus uh, margin uh, price point. And so they'd never figure that out. And so we knew that if we could build a consumer base of black men who we proved could spend money and invest in their grooming and personal care, it'll be very attractive to a traditional retailer. Now, nowadays you work with a lot of e-commerce brands, you know, um, coaching them, sharing information, uh, helping them guide along the same path. When they come in, Versus how you came, you came in like, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm looking for a liquidity goal or exit in mind. Versus the regular purchase, like, hey, I'm just passionate about this. What do you think of some of the differences or some of the people, mistakes people may make where they setting the business up to never be able to exit? That maybe you know because you had uh, laser focus was kind of different. Great question. There's like two parts to it, and so the simple answer and then the more detailed answer. So the simple answer is there are kind of multiple phases of exiting. And so the phase that most people think about is exiting the actual brand, right? Having a liquidity event, selling some or all to an investor, right? And so when you hear about Rihanna becoming a billionaire or even Jay-Z exiting Ace of Spades, that just meant that he sold some or all of their brand, right? Rihanna owned, from the jump, she owned less than 50% of Fenty, wow. right? The LVMH group owns the other 51. Um, and now she sold even more of it. And so liquidity events are happening all around. As a matter of fact, the number one way to build wealth, the easiest way is through liquidity. You own equity in an asset, grow the value of an asset, and then sell it. So over the recession um, or the pandemic, um, we're just starting a recession probably, but over the pandemic, people like Elon Musk or Jeff Bezos grew their net worth by $100 billion. Their companies didn't grow $100 billion. The value in those companies grew $100 billion. Mm -hmm. And so that's one what everyone talks about. But before that, you gotta really exit the day-to-day. If you have a company where you are required to generate the revenue or run the company, you don't have a sellable asset. And so most people come to with the end goal in mind, but we really have to take a step back and say, all right, well, what are the systems you have in place? How are you generating revenue on autopilot? Um, who's the team if you need to, if you're not around to run this business? Um, how's your cash flow? And help them set up with the fundamentals and the foundation to exit the day-to-day -day first before you can have a sellable business. So good, so good. Um, do you think, because uh, you know, we talked a little bit about, you know, specifically in the black community, there have been a, 
uh, a lack of mindset around the exit, right? A lot of times. You think it's something specific to our community? It is. Mm. So um, I have a weird past experience of just, I've been involved with so many stuff. I've had a, a VC-backed startup, raised money on Silicon Valley. I've done private equity. I've raised money in like um, high net worth, mezzanine debt, senior debt, bank debt, just a bunch of different things. And one of the things I recognize is that you can't want what you don't know exists. And so what I mean by you can't want what you don't know exists, one of the lessons I was taught when we were raising money in the VC world and our the, the um, directors uh, were, uh, their families were worth billions, right? So these are people who have seen it. The thing that they always point out to us is that the people who give money um, see something in the people they're investing in. Mm. And on the flip, the people who want to go out and do this are following a roadmap. And we know the concept of the four-minute mile, right? And so it seems impossible yep. until you know people and it becomes more practical. The reality is outside of that one mentor, I knew no one else who sold the business that I could actually like talk to, call on a regular basis. And so years ago, I became more intentional about finding entrepreneurs who have gone through that. And I am usually the anomaly with my peers. And or if you do know people, they're not um, contractually allowed to talk about it. And so a lot of the stuff is hush hush. So we hear about these exits, but we don't know if there were distress sales. Mm -hmm. We don't know the lessons from there. And so we, or the other thing is we feel like we hear in the news how people sell and they think you're selling out. That's my next question. Because so, I think that is a specific to the black community type of thing. Yeah, I remember when Shea Moister uh, sold, a lot of people were, were bashing him and saying he sold out, but then he created this $100 million fund and he put so much in other, in other businesses that created so many more opportunities that he would not have been able to do right. um, had he not gone through that liquidity event. So I think that's the biggest piece. People don't understand and they have good intentions, but unless they have not, unless they have gone through that, it's like irrational to take advice from people who haven't gone through that, right? And so by me being intentional about partnering with people who have gone through that, and they say, yeah, this does happen, but compare that to all the good that I'm now able to do, right? Um, it just made it more worthwhile for me, and like I committed to doing that. Mm -hmm. Nice. So um, as you look, right, and you say, all right, I'm, I'm building this thing, and I'm going to build it to exit. What were challenges? Because I'm still growing that business, had to be some challenges. Like, what were some of the major challenges that you ran into and faced? Along that path. Man, <laughs> if I, you could pick a few. It right, a few, right, right. I felt like I was a firefighter uh, <laughs> on most days, right? And so I wasn't wearing the CEO hat, I was wearing the firefighter hat. But I'll tell you a, a really transparent story. So um, I've been Shopify, Founder Magazine, Amazon, all these places about our like initial success. And so we went from zero to 60K per month in our first 90 days. And then we got into six figures and then we're doing six figures a month. Um, and then all of a sudden I lost my Facebook account. And that was, mm. you know, we had budgets two, three, four K per day and I was self-funded. Uh, we were self-funded. And so what I realized at that time was I was building a Ponzi scheme and um, everyone kind of like, what are you talking about? But most people focus on revenue and revenue is not as important as profit. Mm -hmm. The screenshots you see, the million dollar days, they come with a lot of headaches, right? Um, namely, when you see that, unlike physical uh, info products or services, it's not scalable. So with e-com, it's not scalable that fast. With e-com, as revenue grows, expenses grow. So as you go from 100K to like 300K per month, you have to bigger warehouse, more fulfillment team, all these commitments. Whereas, you know, software, as revenue grows, expenses pretty much stay flat. 
and I, I wasn't paying attention to that. But the other thing I wasn't really paying attention to that no one's talking about is profit is cool, but it's not as important as cash flow. Mm. And so when we stopped revenue from coming in, we recognized that we had all of our profits tied up in inventory. Yeah. And so e-com has a negative cash flow cycle. You got to spend on day one to get inventory, which may come in two months. So the revenue that you're currently producing on each day is kind of tied up for at least 60 days, right? And then when you get that inventory in 60 days, you don't sell it right away because you got to buy a few months of inventory because you don't want to run out. So you don't fully recruit 100% of your money into like four or five months. So the faster you grow, the bigger that gap becomes, the bigger, the longer period of time it takes. And so I was growing really fast because if you want to double revenue, now you got to buy twice as much inventory on today's profits. And so I had all my money tied up in inventory and we lost our uh, way to generate revenue. And I had all this stuff and I realized it was a Ponzi scheme. So I only had two months of cash left to pretty much save the business or else I was going to file bankruptcy. At the time, I just had a, you know recently married, got a new house. Mm. And so I just figured it out. And so I went back to the drawing board and I realized I was following too many trends. I got caught up in that. Went back to my old guys in M&A and I'm like, you know, help me out. You guys are turning around guys like, what do I need to do here? And I went back to the basics. And so a lot of the things that are, um, I see now as an issue that I struggle with is focusing on scaling and growing without first solving the cash flow problem. Mm -hmm. Because if you don't solve the cash flow problem, you're actually going to hurt yourself. And I see a lot of founders, that is the one thing that's stopping founders from growing that they don't realize how the problem shows up is that, man, I've just had the best month of my life and I don't have any money for inventory. Right. Or how am I growing? I don't have any money to pay myself. That is usually a red flag that you have a cash flow problem. Mm, that's so good. And I, I remember our um, one of our first e-com brands, we had a, a t-shirt company. And I, I, you know, starkly remember that. And it might've been like after Black Friday or something. Cause Black, oh, we, was, the worst. we was popping after Black Friday and we made all this money through the Shopify site. I'm like, where the heck does money at? Money be ghosting. But between the shirts and us having to get more shirts and then replacing the inventory just so we got stuff to sell after that, like you said, like all, all the money was gone. Yeah, and it's weird. And so like most people when they have, first of all, it's like this concept of what's the snake that's going to kill you first? That's the other thing I focused on. So there's like five buckets of categories of problem, right? It's like a traffic problem, getting visibility mm -hmm. to your brand. There's a conversion problem. How many of those people can you convert? Uh, then there's a delivery fulfillment problem like supply chain manufacturing. Then there's a support problem, but then there's a cash flow problem. And so what happens is if you're, if you're not identifying the right bucket of thing, you end up solving the wrong problem. And so there was a study that said uh, the majority of small business founders spend 68% of their time on the wrong activities. And so the 80-20 rule tells you that you need to be doing 20%, but doesn't tell you which 20%. Right. And so figuring out which 20% is the thing. And so... When most people have a cash flow problem, they don't realize it. And so, did you like what you just heard? Well, let me tell you about this real quick. We want to expose you to something that's amazing, and that is the TSP Mastermind. If you are a business owner that's trying to reach your next six, seven, or eight figures in business, and you're looking for a community of like minded, purpose driven, and ethical entrepreneurs, then guess what? You're in the right spot. We have a 12 month program with one on one coaching, accountability, trainings, events, and more in order to help you reach the next level in your business. For more information, visit www.trafficsalesandprofit.com. Real example. So uh, founder I'm working with, they had this cash flow problem, didn't recognize it. They took out a uh, PayPal or Shopify loan. 
that doesn't solve the problem. That hurts the problem because it's not a profit problem you have, it's a cash flow. And because they know you have a cash flow, but they're not telling us what they do to make sure they get their money back because they know you don't have the cash flow to support it, they sweep your account. Mm -hmm. So you get this loan, they fund the inventory, they're like, perfect, we get it in 60 days. Day five, they start taking their money back. You don't even have the product yet. You don't have the product for another two months. They didn't got paid back before you even have a chance to generate this revenue. 90% of founders plus that take out this thing end up in a worse problem. It's like the lotto problem, yeah. right? They get all this money, then and most of them end up bankrupt. I was thinking, it's the same because thing. from them taking your money just off the top, a lot of times that'll put you in a worse situation than 50 other ways you could have got that same 100%. money, even if you would have got it in a traditional way, because even a traditional way, hey, I get to pay you back on my terms, or you know, I got 30 days to make a portion of the, or something versus you just 100%. <laughs> taking yours right off the top. They're focusing on the wrong snake. They had a cash flow problem, but they're trying to solve it with revenue or something else. The other thing that they do is they're like, you know what, let me borrow some money and I'm gonna grow my sales so I can make this profit and then pay off the thing. Now your purchase order has gotta be twice as big. You're in the back, you're in the same problem in a month. Now, now you're double the problem, right? Cause you didn't grow your business and you didn't have any money to support the first purchase orders. Now you really don't have the money to support double the purchase orders. And so they're in a worse boat. They're not focusing on the snake that's gonna kill them first. And so having, having just clarity around what problem do I need to solve in my business? The majority of the time for brands who are six figures in scaling, it's cash flow. No one's having a conversation about that. Everyone's talking about revenue or marketing or how to grow. But if you grow without fixing this, you're just going to be in a worse boat. Mm. You're going to have the lotto problem where you get all this money, biggest months of your life, but now you're worse off than you were before. Mm. I love it. And so many things you just talked about. Uh, I was just having a conversation recently um, with a client about the same exact thing, right? It's like e-com, I'm growing, but I need more money for inventory. I don't have the the, the right inventory I need that's most popular because money's tied up here, money's tied up there. And and I'm curious on your thoughts on this. Another conversation we were having is um, I talk to e-com folks and they kind of go through, well, I can do you know PayPal capital or Shopify capital or this, that, right? Every now and then, that's like the low-hanging fruit because it's in front of them every time they every time they log, log in. in. Hey, you qualify. <laughs> right. So that's what most of them are thinking. But then somebody may think, well, I can go a traditional route, or um, you know, gonna some people go further down, like, hey, I may be the, you know, sell a PO or whatever. Um, I don't feel like, um, and I'm curious to see, because you may think different. I don't feel like uh, uh black entrepreneurs also explore um um equity actually selling equity in their businesses enough. Because I, I feel like everything is like, you know, it's a great analogy, right? You want 100% of a great, or well, 10% of a what? I feel like they like, I can't give nobody my baby, right? Where, where you know, you may need money to come in and fund something, but if you just live in like, almost like the business version of paycheck to paycheck, you can 100%. never get ahead. 100%. I sold my whole company, so I'm 100% <laughs> in agreement with you, right? Right? So that's the whole point of it. And so, having been exposed to how real wealthy people do things yeah like you'll be you'll be it'll be very hard to find a billionaire who owns 100% of their company mm. right and so success leaves clues why don't you study and recognize some of the things that are happening and so too far off we take advice from people who live the flashiest lifestyle and are kind of new money entrepreneurs but those trends come and go right so i try to look past that and to look for our Who's been doing it the longest, the most consistently and reliably? I'm not out there trying to hit home runs. I'm trying to consistently hit singles and doubles. And so those people 
all follow that roadmap. Like Jeff Bezos owns 10, 11% of his company, mm -hmm. right? Elon Musk, percentage. The majority of people who have publicly traded companies don't own the majority of their companies. That's the whole point of going public. And so why would we not follow the example that the wealthiest, most successful people in the world in North America are doing? Yeah, I love it. I feel like that's such a huge, because if you think about all the things that hear people play with the most, like giving up parts of that company can solve a piece of that. I need more money. I need more talent. I don't have this expertise, right? I don't, it's those, these things I don't know, which are all the reasons people give up equity in their companies, right? They, you know, they, they give up equity to somebody that knows more so they can come in and add their brain power, their talent, their relationships. I, you know, I, money just being the least of it. I'll give you an, a real life example to make it tangible. So a buddy of mine, they started a brand and within their first two years, they're off to a great start, run into the same thing, right? Cash flow issues, et cetera. There is a, I would argue, an even more important uh, reason to partner with someone with cash. They're successful. They've seen it before. The right type of cash, right? And so uh, this concept I, I like to call a strategic investor. Mm -hmm. And this is someone who brings something more to the table than just money, mm -hmm. right? Relationships, experience. Um, I've been through a lot. I'm now in the position of being a strategic investor where even if I don't give you any money, we can get to this end path a lot more reliably. Now, if we add some money to the fuel, it's like game over. So they were in a place where they maxed out and they decided to sell a portion of their company, I think like 30% of their company to this guy who had a lot of experience in retail. They were only online. So they got the cash they needed to solve this cash flow problem, but then they turned over retail to them. They, he got them into wall, all Walmarts across the world within like 15 months. They, so they got one buy of the Apple because they sold 30% of their company. And then in about 20 months, 24 months, they sold the entire brand because they now had this massive investment in Walmart and other additional retailers. Mm -hmm. They made a killing. They sold the whole company for like over 30 million. And they would not have been in that place if they did not first lose their ego and raise their hand that they needed help and partner with someone who had the experience in doing that. This was this guy's like fourth or fifth time doing this. Mm. I love it. So I know you work with a lot of brands now. If somebody's watching this and they're just getting started with their e-commerce brand, um, and maybe they got, you know, they, they're selling to somebody, so they got some customers coming in. Like, what are the first few steps they should be taking to really try to blow that thing up? Yeah, I'll, I'll be specific at, like, income range. Like, under six figures, there's a certain set of tools, and now we primarily focus with six-figure brands who want to make more work less and grow to a seven-figure sellable brand. That's like our bread and butter, people with existing traction. And so just starting off, uh, getting up to six figures, the primary thing you need to figure out is solving a problem for a specific group of people, like adding some value, right? The three Ps, person, pain, promise. Which person are you gonna be valuable to? Which type of uh, promise can you give them about a pain or discomfort in their life, right? If you get that down packed, you only need two to three products to get to six figures a year. It's one funnel, two to three products, one specific niche. Once you get past that now, from going to 100K to a million per year, um, you need to have consistency, right? Um, and so making sure that about 30 to 40% of your revenue comes from owned media. For example, I didn't, we skipped over what I actually did to turn around the mm -hmm. company. One of the things we did, there's only three ways to grow a company, uh, um, convert more customers, um, increase the amount they spend with you each time and get them to come back and buy more. I recognized that I was too focused on a trend. So like ads or whatever. And so like six figure people, they jump on a trend, they get there, but it's not consistent, right? The influencer hit or the, the reel or whatever. Now you got to do that every single month consistently. And so I switched from trying to get new customers 
to improve my conversion rate. So my site's conversion rate was about one and a half percent. I got it up to like a four. Um, and so now, instead of spending any more money or focusing on anything, I just converted three times more customers. Mm -hmm. And so the other way we did that is we launched a membership program. We had over 3,000 people join. And so we generated seven figures in income on autopilot. Like our best customer bought 46 times from us. Some people with, who bought 30, 30, 40 times didn't even have a beard. And mm -hmm. so we just really tapped into person paying promise and was able to um, align with who they were as a person and um, give them something that they wanted to offer in the world. And in return, we got a lot more consistency and monthly cash flow. And so you have to shift from one-offs to consistency. And then you also have to put systems in place because you don't want to be in a situation where you're working 12, 14 hour days. You want to be able to transfer some of your brain power into highly qualified individuals. And so if you're the smartest person in your company, not literally the smartest, but you know everything, you need to make sure that you're not that person in order to consistently get to seven figures. Mm, that's good. I, I find that um, everybody focuses on that first piece you talked about, right? Always going out and getting new people. What they don't realize is that no matter how much you make, if that's the game, the first of the month, you got to play that game all over again. Yep. And like literally, you got the best month. <laughs> you can make $100 million that month. But if that's the game you play in, Right. If you start a year, January 31st, you celebrating biggest month ever. And then the next day you like, well, dang. Yep. <laughs> I look back in there, we at zero. We got to build it all up all over again. Yep. I, the, I, I love that. The biggest e-commerce company in the world, arguably, is Amazon. They got 200 million prime subscribers. Right. And so I just, like I mentioned earlier, studied who are the real players? What are they doing? How can I model that? And so not only does that solve the revenue problem, it solves the cash flow problem, it solves the ordering of products and supply problem, it just solves so much for us. Mm -mm. That's excellent. So um, so they're getting started, right? They're saying I'm gonna focus on these other things. And as you talk about that too, let's let's talk about the fact, uh, before we started, started taping, I was mentioning this a little bit. I feel like for newer entrepreneurs a lot of times, if they come into a market when the market is good, mm -hmm they don't go hard enough when it's good, right? Um, so like, how important is it? Or what are the times where you saw where it was like, hey, or even look back when you lost when you lost the account, what are the times you said, hey, like when these things were going, we should have went even harder or maybe feel like you went hard enough. Was that something you see with your clients or not? Yeah, 100%. Um, I see two things, two of the biggest things, right? And so outside of not understanding cash flow to scale, when they are doing something that's working for whatever freaking reason, they want to do something else. <laughs> I'm like, bro. It's an entrepreneur's role. I'm like, you better. It's too easy. I think people don't like easy. It's too. It get too easy. I'm like, no, no, no. Let me let me help you out here. Your role to do more is not to find <laughs> new shiny objects. It's to say no to everything else and to double down on what's already working. Do it more efficiently. Do it more. Yeah. Hire people to do more of that. And so, I would say the majority of people who have come to me to help in the past year, who their business is down. 90% of them stopped doing what was working. Mm. Or um, in essence, or doing what you're talking about, they're not going hard enough when the opportunity arises. And so uh, when we go back to it, unfortunately, some of them have missed the opportunity, right? Right. And so they're, re they're not realizing that they're building their business on trends and so versus, versus fundamentals. And so um, I like to highlight, if you're building your business on trends, they don't last forever. So if it's currently working, by nature of the definition, won't always, it's a trend. It won't always last. So if you're not just like gassing the trend, you're wasting your time. 
Now, fundamentals, for the other, on the other hand, those are things that last, you know, longer period mm -hmm. of time. So if that's there, there's not really, there's not really a reason to like double down on that. And so you have to understand the business you're in. And so if you're in a trend business, which are reels, if you ever watch in social media and someone's like, yo, here's the play, here's the tip, here's the hack, <laughs> that's a trend. And it's only good when some people are talking about it. If the 100,000 follower social media person is following, it's too late. Yeah. So you need to be on to the new trend. And that's okay, but you, didn't read, you need to realize what business you're in. If you're in the trend business, you got to gas it and be prepared to jump to the next one every time the trend dies out. And, and fuel it into the other parts like you're talking in about, the other right? Part. So if, if, if you know, um, I'm running the play, they told me it's working well, then, I, like you said, I got to get those people, all right, they're getting in, but how can I get them on a return path? Correct. So now, you know, I'm fueling up this other part of the business. So like you said, if this slows down, eventually, um, I think one, one of the most important things I was ever taught about business, which is the simplest thing I ever taught about business, is that um, all companies, all industries have a lifespan. Yep. And, and when I heard that, it was so simple, but so profound. And if you really like remove your ego from it and say, I don't care who you are, how great you think you are, but your company, your industry, it got a start point. And at some point it's going to start going down. It, it, if you really get that in your soul, it makes you act to interact differently with what's going on. And like I said, say, hey, you know what? Like this thing may be hot now, but I cannot make this something that's always going to be hot forever. So like you said, I'm gonna gas it up, number one. And then two, how can I fuel the evergreen parts of my business that I can always multiply from? Because like I said, what I'm seeing now is people that didn't, um, e-commerce brands, for example, that really benefited from the pandemic, mm -hmm. that were afraid going into the pandemic, but then next thing they know, mm -hmm. they got more customers than ever because people can't, they literally cannot shop anywhere else. Correct. But e did they really e take advantage e of it? E-com took 16 years to get to uh, about 15% of the total sales in, like in the world, within the first six months of uh, COVID, it jumped to 32%. It doubled in six months, but it took 15, 16 years to build. It was unreal. No one could, no one could have planned for that. But I feel like the the assumption a lot of people made, it was acting as if those stores would never reopen. Correct. Or, or I don't think they knew the stores reopened, but they thought their sales were going to exactly like when the stores reopen. Oh, these all these customers, I got to go stay here. But not even realizing that when the stores reopened, people longed for the feeling of actually going into a store and touching stuff and seeing stuff and and, and just the still pieces that you don't get online. The other thing, too, um, is one of the biggest things that we do in coaching e-commerce founders is sometimes, they are, most of the times, if you're at a certain point, you're doing mid six figures, you already know the answers, but you're too close to the solution, so it, it's not as clear. And so... A lot of what we do is just helping them make better decisions, like removing the emotions and looking at numbers or just the logic. And a large part of what people do is they look to micro and they don't recognize that X factors impact all your efforts, right? And so you could be doing the best, but in this example of COVID, people were stuck at home. People couldn't spend money on entertainment, so they had more money than they knew what to do with it. The government was giving them money, more money than they knew what to do with it. They just had money burning a hole in their pocket and they were bored, so they shop. Now when the world opened back up, people start traveling, they have, now some of that money is being redistributed other places. And so you could be doing the same strategies in your business, but if you're not taking a macro view of what's going on outside of you, you're also gonna get impacted. And so making sure you're not only recognizing the efforts that you're doing, but like what's going on in the world to make sure you're making the right decisions.
That's good. Let me let me ask you. You know, we talked about um, those companies under 100k, the companies over 100k going. Like like, what about the companies over a million that are out and if you know they feeling like all right, you know, I'm doing something substantial. By that time, they probably got some level of team. You know, they probably got some level of systems and in place. What should they be focused on? What should they be doing? Great question. And so I'll give you a real life example. Um, two of the most recent companies who joined our mastermind. One is like right at the million dollar uh, range and the other one's at the $3 million range. And you'd be surprised, but a lot of these founders are just really good at products and or marketing. And so mm -hmm. they're typically visionaries, but they have not figured out the operations and systems piece. And so the things that they need to focus on now is getting a team yeah. um, and getting systems in place because the $3 million founder is working 12 to 14 hour days. That's not sustainable. Mm -hmm. But she feels, and rightly so, if she slows down a little bit, the business won't be at the same rate. And so with her at the, the million dollar range, it's now exiting the day to day and starting to put those systems in place where you could go from being a firefighter of a seven figure business to a CEO of a seven figure business. Yeah. Ooh, that's good. That's good. I, I was recently telling somebody, um, I feel like zero to 100K. Is all about what you sell and who to sell it to. What you sell, you, you sell know, to. like hundred k to a million, like how to sell more, right? Because now I, I kind of got myself as validated, but I'm trying to figure out traffic channels, how to get them back, how to convert them all at pieces. And I, I feel like that one to ten million a lot of times is about leadership. And a lot of people get stuck there because they're not natural leaders, mm -hmm. or they're not developing that part. Uh, because, like you said, it's like all right, I'm just looking for you know, the next Facebook strategy or like what's working, <laughs> what's working on IG right now. But literally it's like, okay, can I lead people? Mm -hmm. Can I like say, okay, this is where we going and get everybody marching in that direction. Like you said, can I remove myself from pieces, um, bring in other people that are better at me than certain things and put them in a place um, to kind of keep keep the thing moving and growing to the next year. I, I got one more question I was gonna ask, I'm curious. Um, specifically, uh, black entrepreneurs that you run into, um, do you think they think big enough mm -mm. about what's possible? Mm -mm. And so, which is also a response to your uh, prior statement, the two things we focus in on our program, which is unique to what's out there, is um, most people focus on the ability gap, right? And so that's like the tactics, the skill, the, idea, mm -hmm. the thing. No one focuses, very little, few, very few people focus on the motivation gap. And so when I was at this tech startup, being mentored by a billionaire and uh, 6X, uh, 6X uh, founder who has uh, sold five of his six businesses, um, what they focused on the majority of the time was our limited beliefs mm. and putting us next to the 50th person at, uh, at um, Facebook, the person who sold his business for 100 million, just to mainly realize that they're no different than us, right? They just went out and did it. And so when most people are coming to us with an ability gap, hey, I need to know, uh, learn a new traffic source or I need some SOPs or I need to learn how to get 200K in funding, what we recognize is that they've never been here before. So what we really need to work on them with is making sure that they own that space, right? And making sure that they believe in themselves because you got six figures of debt, you got families to feed like yeah. this, you never been here before. And so making sure that you have the mindset and the motivation to, now that you have this stuff, to believe in yourself and you have the support to go out and do what you need to do. Because without that, the abilities are useless, right? They're only gonna last so long before you start self-sabotaging. I love it, totally agree. 
Awesome, man. If somebody's watching, they want to get in touch with you, they want to learn more about you know your company and what you do and how you help people, how can they track you down? Very simple. Uh, Gamal Codner on Instagram or any social, and our company is codner.co. Um, this was a 30, 40 minute conversation, a lot of high level stuff. If you're interested in learning a little bit more, we could go in detail. Um, once a month, I run a, a boot camp, a four hour boot camp, where we go into the details of all the nitty gritty. And uh, once a month, we also open enrollment um, for anyone who wants to work with us. So we can get together on an hour call and just hash through the details of your business. If anything, every, if anything we said today was super helpful or intriguing, would love to talk to you. All right. So there you have it again. Tons of nuggets for you to take away from it. The most important thing, like always, is that you take action. Um, so if you heard something, you say, hey, you know what? I think I can do something like that. Guess what? You got to actually do it and get started and get moving. And if you heard something that intrigued you, get the information, you know, reach out uh, to Gamal and his company. We have all the information down in those below. But make sure you get moving, right? Tomorrow is not promised just for you before your business either. So it's important that you make the most out of every single day. I hope you enjoyed today's show. We drop new episodes every single week. So make sure you subscribe and turn on notifications. Enjoy the next episode.